So if you're new to Legacy, if this is the first time you've been here, we have been tracking through the book of John. And at this point, we are in John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, open up your Bibles. If you have your devices, open up your devices. Don't open them up with your little tools, but push the button and open it. No, no, no taking apart your devices this morning. We're in John. Thank you. Back corner. Giggle. John chapter 6, verse 22 through 59. John 6, 22, 22 through 59. We're not going to read that together out loud right now. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the format here in a moment. But we've been going through the book of John specifically pinpointing how Jesus is our hero. How Christ is our hero. We love heroes. We love Superman, Batman, at least I do. This is part of my testimony growing up as a kid. I, I love Superman, Batman, and the Duke boys. I mean, I had heroes in front of me all the time. And then Miss Blakeney, who was a teacher at Children's Worship, which isn't a time where you go and worship children, but it's a time where children go and learn about Jesus, Miss Blakeney shared the gospel over and over and over. Well, during that time, God really pricked my heart. And I asked my mom, who's here, love you, mom, dad, love you too. I asked mom, why'd they kill Jesus? In a language I could understand, she shared the gospel with me, and I gave my life to Christ. But Jesus was a hero to me. And that's what I didn't understand is why he died on the cross, because heroes... In my mind, as a little boy, they couldn't be killed by the bad guy. And once I saw that my hero wasn't killed by the bad guy, but actually laid his life down, I was amazed at that. And I'm even more amazed at that now that I'm 42 years old and understand how unworthy I am of anyone to die for me. So here's the question. Why did John write this book? Why did John write the book? All we have to do is look to John chapter 20, verse 31. But these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is going to be central to today's passage. Belief. Faith. Remember, John is writing this book to people. He is saying, I'm writing these things. God is ordaining John to write this. I'm writing these things so that you would believe. Believe what? That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Messiah. And that you can have life in His name. A couple of weeks ago, we, we saw how Jesus fed 5,000 plus people by taking some loaves and some fish and multiplying that. It's pretty amazing. And then last week we saw that after he did that, the disciples went out. He stayed back. Later that evening, he walks out on the water. And he walks out on the water. He walks on water. Last week, Jesus walked on water. And if you're like me, it's like, okay, yeah, I've heard it. And I've heard it. And I've heard it. But when is the last time that you've really tried to do that? Walk on water. You, I do try that, and I'm sure a lot of the guys can testify. I try to see how many feet I can get on the water before I fall in when I'm running across the pool. But Jesus walked on water. It is an amazing miracle that in a minute you're going to see that Jesus doesn't lay that trump card down. Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. So where's Jesus? They wake up. They get up. Where's Jesus? I would be doing the same thing. I wake up. Who do I want to see today? 
If, I had, if he had just multiplied bread and fish, I want to see that guy again. What's he going to do today? This is the guy that I want to see. Yeah, I want to see my family, give some hugs, but let's go. Let's go find him. Where is he? They're looking for him. They're seeking Jesus. They're looking for Jesus. This sounds so right. But their motives are so wrong. They are looking for Jesus, yes, for the wrong reasons. No, it's not good. And Jesus is going to get to that. But why? What was motivating their desire to seek Jesus? John 6, 15, looking back a few verses, says this, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. They're trying to force Jesus to be their king. This is not a good thing. Verse 25, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, You were seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He didn't answer their question. Jesus did not answer their question. This is normal for Jesus to not answer the question directly. This is the time where I think any dude in the room would have easily said, oh, you want to know how I got here? I walked on water. That's what I did. I walked on the water. Years from now, you guys are going to walk on the moon. Yeah, and you're going to be like, we walked on the moon, but I walked on water. But he doesn't lay that trump card down. He doesn't do that. He very easily could have done that. He doesn't even answer their question with a question that Jesus often does. But he gives them a straight up accusation. Jesus, our kind, good, gentle, awesome, loving, good shepherd, is not always just the meek and mild. He gets very bold right here with these people. And this is all in love, if you have a question about that. He's telling them that they, they, they just like to have their bellies filled. You just like to have your bellies filled. Can you imagine the team sitting around, all the folks sitting around saying, hey, here's our team, here's Jesus. He can, he can heal people. He can turn water into wine. He can turn bread into more bread. He can turn fish into more fish. This is the guy that we need on our, on our team. If we want to be successful, I'm sure that if people were going to attack us, I'm sure he could... I'm sure he could take care of that. He seems to be powerful. He seems to be a nice guy. He seems to be the kind of guy that we would like to have our, our team and do our bidding. This is the guy that we want on our team. Power to heal, feed, fight, protect. Our kingdom will be great. The thought of a player on our team that can make our earthly troubles go away is very appealing. It's what you want. It's what I want. That's how I use Christ often in my own life. To Jesus, make, make my problems go away, would you? I want to select you today, Jesus, for this just because I want more money in my bank account. Help me. Help me. Fill in the blank with the way that you're tempted to look to Jesus to fit him into what you think is best for you. They miss the miracle of the multiplied bread and fish. They focus solely on power and having their bellies filled and having a materialistic kingdom. Our kingdom come. Our will be done with their chant. I would have been right there with them. I really think so. I would, I would have done what Adam did in the garden. I really think so. My daughter Sophie, when, when she first started really understanding what Adam did in the garden, and what we all do, it's like, why did he do that? And to say, you know what, Sophie your dad probably would have done the same thing. I'm pretty sure I would have done the same thing. The Bible says I would have done the same thing. But why do we do these things? Why do we outwardly, knowingly go against our Father and chant 
to the creator of the universe, my will be done on earth as I want it to happen on earth. Forget about heaven. This is all of our desires before Christ. This is our belief system before Christ. Fill us up with what we want and when we want it and how we want it. But the Lord is merciful. He comes out boldly. He accuses them. And this isn't, this isn't that kind of accusation of, hey, I think you just did something wrong. No, it's you are thinking wrong. This is Jesus. He accuses them rightly to the point, and it is on point. Verse 27, listen to the Lord's mercy. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him the Father, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. Their plans were temporary. It was self-absorbed in its plans that would rot. The plans would rot. Their families would rot. Their very souls would rot. And Jesus tells them to work for the food that endures to eternal life, which, which He will give. Hopefully, for those of you that are evangelical Christians in the room right now, you're feeling slightly uncomfortable. Jesus is saying, work for the food that endures to eternal life. Jesus is telling us right here to work for something. The word work in eternal life is in the same sentence coming out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, is approved by God. This is in this verse. The seal of God is set on him. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. The Father gives the food that endures to eternal life. Here's where we need to see that the Father has set his seal on the Son. The Son is the King. He is King. He doesn't need a group of people to make him their King. He is the King. He doesn't need anyone to vote them in Vote him in to their system of being a king. He's already a king. He is the king of the world. And he comes to earth as a king. He's approved by the Father. So Christ, our hero, is the king. Don't miss this. They're wanting to make him their king, not realizing he's already a king, appointed and approved by the Father. He does have all authority. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Good question. This is a good question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? However, they actually think that they will be able to perform the works of God. You're going to see here in a second that Jesus uses the singular work. They're still caught up in the law, the good law of God, the good commands of God. They haven't been convinced yet that they cannot follow the law. They, they're not convinced yet that they can't follow those. And here's more works. Tell us what we have to do, and we're going to do it. Oh, don't you worry. If there's works that can lead to eternal life, oh, we can do that. We can do that. Why do we think that we can do the works that lead to eternal life? We can't. We can't. Not only can we not do the works, plural, that leads to eternal life, the works, singular, we're going to see here in a second what that is. But there's this family, the Montenegros, they make the best meal that you've ever had. The Jones family is new in the community. They move in. They see the U-Haul. The Montenegros go down. They help, they help them move. They move into their house. Everything is good. The, the Montenegros say to the Jones family, hey, why don't y'all come over tonight and eat with us? Miss Montenegro has some food going. Mr. Montenegro is firing up the grill. The little Montenegro children are running around having fun with the Jones children. It's just great. It's awesome. There's a lot of love going on. There's a lot of hospitality going on. There's a lot of friendship going on. And then the dinner comes. There's a lot of eating going on. A lot of storytelling. 
a lot of laughing. It even gets a little serious. It's like, hey, we've never just got this open with somebody so closely, but hey, this move has been really hard. You know, we, we just moved from Washington, and now we're, in, we're here in Knoxville, and it's really hard. And they're able to talk about that, and it's good. It's a good time together. The Jones family is getting up to leave. They look to the Montenegros and say, well, what do we owe you? What do we owe you? And Mr. Montenegro says, what do you mean, what do you owe? Well, you helped us move today, play with our kids, you told us great stories, you really helped us out a lot, you, you, you fed us, uh, you know, those good steaks. What do we, what do we owe you? The M- Mr. Montenegro is just like, well, let's rewind that. Little eight-year-old Billy Montenegro says, you don't owe us anything. This, this, is what, this is what we do. We, we're, we're friends. We, we, Mr. Mon, Mr. Jones says, no. He pulls out two 20s, throws it on the table, and leaves. This is highly inappropriate. Would you not agree? It's highly inappropriate, almost no matter where you live in the world. But not only that, it shows that I, I worked for this. I've got, there's got to be some kind of transaction for this kind of love. There's got to be some work that I do. And we're not going to be able to pay you back with a good meal because I don't cook well. We're not going to be able to help you move because you already live here. We're not going to be able to play with your kids all the time because our kids are in this special program. They're not even going to be here most of the time. So the only thing we could do to pay you back is by throwing some money on the table. We find ourselves going through life trying to pay for a free meal. And in the process, we insult God. God gives us eternal life freely by his works and we're continually still even believers we still think that there's works that we do to earn his love his favor verse 29 Jesus answered them this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent the work is believing the work is believing And I'm even okay that some of us in this room are still even uncomfortable with that. I'm okay with it. I'm a little uncomfortable with it because I don't understand fully so much of it, but I understand enough to see that, wait a minute, Jesus is even going to get to this soon about how I even can believe is even initiated by the sovereign, amazing love of the Father. But if you need one of your modern heroes... If you love the doctrines of grace, you might have heard of a guy named John Calvin. He looks at verse 29 and he says, "This, this is not God, this is not showing us what God produces in us, but wants and requires from us. God desires, wants, and even the Bible says, commands from us that we believe in him. This is faith. This is believing. As we're going to see, this is an active eating that must be done. The last time I preached, I mentioned some of this, this verse from a song, Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling, naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace, foul to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. We bring nothing but our sin to Christ. But we believe. We trust. We come. We fly. We go. And we're going to see we eat. And we drink. Verse 30. So then they said to him, Okay, then what sign do you do? Uh, it, they don't say okay. It's not in Scripture. They don't say okay. But they say, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. You see, yesterday's miracle is not enough. What Jesus did yesterday is not enough for them today. They can't, they can't look to the power from yesterday and know that Jesus is God and He's Almighty and should be trusted. They need another work. They need something else to happen. He's just telling them, you need to believe. The work for you is to believe. And they're like, well, what are you going to do? It's somewhat appropriate. 
Because, listen to this, they, they know that He fed Israel in the wilderness six days a week for 40 years from bread from heaven. There is an aspect. They know their history. They know their history. So in one sense, we're just like them. Okay, our forefathers in the wilderness, they were there for 40 years and bread came from heaven for 40 years, six days a week. You did it one day. You, you gave us bread, but you gave us bread from bread. There was bread and then you made more bread. As if that's not incredibly miraculous. But can you take something from nothing? Can you do that? And this is where Jesus could have laid the trump card. And he could have said, I made the world. I made the world. Of course I can do that. But Jesus, as a great prophet, says, no, it was not it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was God. It was God, not Moses, who gave you the bread. Jesus, our hero, is our bold prophet declaring truth. But here's the thing. He says, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. So he's very clear on this. It's God that gives the bread from heaven, but he turns it to right now. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. It's His way of beginning to say, the Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. You're looking for works. You're looking in all the wrong places. Look right here. What a compassionate God. Even in the midst of building their own kingdoms and trying hard to earn God's favor, for their own purposes, the Father gives them the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. He has them right where He wants them. They're coming to make Him a king. They're looking for their bellies to be filled. He's showing them, I am the king already. He's showing them that I speak bold truth. I'm a prophet. I will speak the truth. I will tell you what you need to know, what you need to do, you need to believe. But they're still looking for this forever bread always. And that is a, a good thing. This is a good desire. We want to have life always. He has them right where he wants them. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus, our hero, is the bread of life. He is our life, our sustenance. The Bible with this usage, I am the bread of life, when you look more into it, it, Jesus is saying, I, I am. I am the bread of life. I am is the key to this passage. The bread of life is extremely important, but he's again going to the I am, which resonates extremely well with the people because that is who God is. God is the great I am. And Jesus here is saying, I am, I myself me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is showing them that it's about the gospel, the good news. It's about Jesus. In this world, we're never satisfied. A championship ring this season is not enough for next season, especially for fans. The team Earn that championship. It lasts for, it's got bragging rights for a long time. It surely does. The celebration goes. But once the new season starts and things aren't going well, that team gets put through the ringer. We're not satisfied even in our basic things of like our teams. Our teams have to be the champions every single year. Or we're not satisfied. 
the best meal you have and satisfies you, you. You want more of it. You don't run to Crystal or Sonic the next day. Well, maybe some of you do. You want to be satisfied again with good food. You keep looking for true deliciousness. You keep looking for true greatness. You keep looking. We desire, we hunger, we thirst, we crave. C.S. Lewis says, I cannot find a cup of tea that is big enough or a book that is long enough. We crave, we desire, we want things. If you love to read and you love to get lost in reading, there's not a book that's long enough. If you love your teas or your coffees or your essential oils, there's just not enough of these things. We want more. We want to mix. We want to dabble. That's why cooking shows are so awesome. Because there's only, that's why for me, Taco Bell is so awesome. There's only five ingredients, but they just keep coming out with awesomeness. We tweak, we tweak, and it's boom, and it, yes. We crave. But Jesus tells us to, de- to desire Him, to crave Him, to come to Him, that He's the bread of life. The bread of life satisfies. Jesus satisfies. But we must come. We must believe. We're going to take a brief pause right here just for the book of John itself. Jesus begins to use seven I am statements to proclaim His authority and His mission. The seven I am sayings of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life, I am the true vine, and here I am the bread of life. And I've been in church since I was a baby, and I remember a lot, and I forget a lot, but I don't know how I could have forgot Micah 5.2, which is not going to be on the screen, but Bethlehem... It's called the place of bread. Jesus is the bread of life, and he's born in Bethlehem. How appropriate that it's called the place of bread. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. You've seen me, and yet you do not believe. My daughter the other day is asking the question just about believing. I can't see Jesus. I can't see him can't hear him. I can't touch him. And my wife beautifully walks our daughter through that, that difficulty. But Jesus here is saying, you have seen me and yet do not believe. They see him. They even sought him, yet they're not really coming to him. They're coming to themselves. They're not coming to Jesus. They're coming to let Jesus come to them, to do something just for them, for their kingdoms, for their greatness, for whatever. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing and that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Christ, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, has purchased the people for himself. Now, in the, this context, in the story, in history, Christ hasn't done this yet. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. But in reality, it's as good as done because it's something that God said from eternity past. He's going to do it, and God's Word is going to happen. It's as good as done. It's going to happen. Christ is going to give His life away for sinners. The Father honors the Son by giving us to Jesus. This passage says, all that the Father gives me. Christ purchases a people for himself. God the Father gives these people and honors the Son with his people that he purchased. This is an honor thing that goes on amongst the Trinity that I don't understand, but I'm well okay with this. That he gives us to Christ. Our hero 
is our King who saves, secures, and holds forever. There is a holding forever that is in this verse. John is not embarrassed by the theme of predestination here. He knows there's still human responsibility. Look to the Son. Believe in Him. But John writes down what Christ says, that all that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. John Bloom, in the book called Don't Follow Your Heart, he says this, Grumbling is a gauge of the human soul. It gauges our gaze on grace. It tells us that we're not seeing grace. Here is the creator of the universe, Jesus, God made flesh, speaking to a group, telling them, I'm the bread of life. I come to give you life. I'll hold you forever. And they're like, aren't you, aren't you married, son? Aren't you, aren't you somebody else? We don't. They were just coming to him because he, he multiplied the bread and the loaves, and now they're, they're trying to go back to, but who, who are you really? They're wrestling. Wrestling is okay. But they're avoiding is what they're doing. They're avoiding Christ. They're grumbling. They're missing grace. Jesus, grace is in their face. And they are saying, nah, nah. That doesn't seem to work with our plans right now. So in 44, 47, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. The word draw here, the same word throughout the Bible, is talking about an internal illumination, an effectual calling through the word in the gospel. The word of God is powerful. God draws people through his good news, through the word of God. I was reminded this week at a Bible study with Dr. Clint. He, 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 he reminded us of the saying that, that many people will use, and it's got, a, it's, it's got a rightness in it and a big wrongness in it, but it's that, it's that always share Christ, always share the gospel, but when necessary, use words. What it's saying is show Christ with your life, absolutely. But when necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words when you want somebody to know who Christ is. The gospel is a gospel of proclamation, of words. But Jesus is not thrown off by their lack of believing. He knows that he's going to proclaim and that his kingdom will be built. But he's still merciful. This verse says that no one can come unless. There is an ability to even come to Christ that is only initiated and sparked by the Word of God, by God the Father. Let's think of some verses that talk about this, this type of drawing. In John 21, the net full of big fishes is actually drawn or dragged ashore. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are dragged into the forum. Acts 21, Paul is dragged out of the temple. James 2, the rich drag the poor before the judgment seats. John 12, Jesus will draw all men to himself. As we know here soon, Simon drew his sword in the garden. These aren't things of electing something. These are things that, 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 that Paul, somebody wasn't in prison saying, okay, come on, come on, come into prison. He was taken into prison. The love of God the Father, the sovereignty that He has, the, the power that He has to initiate a drawing for us to come and feast eternally upon Christ and be surrounded by His love and be taken care of forever is an amazing drawing. It is grace. Hendrickson says this, here God deals with a responsible being, powerfully influences the mind, will, heart, the entire personality, 
from the beginning and throughout the entire process of being saved, the power is ever from above. It is very real, strong, and effective. It is wielded by God himself. God draws me away from me, illuminating my heart to see my Savior in eternity. It is by grace alone that we can even see. It's by grace alone that we would even believe, that we would even have faith. Jesus continues in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus is the bread of life. He is our sustenance. Jesus is alluding to his sacrifice here. His body being broken for us. His blood being shed for us. Verses 22-59. We'll read part of that. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood... You have no life in you. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. So this is going from believe in me and this is what I do and this is who I am and I am the bread to you got to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood. This is not cannibalism. That's exactly what this sounds like. But that is exactly what this is not. Jesus, our hero, is our priest who brings us to the Father through His own sacrifice. This eating is actually the work of believing. This level of believing leads to truly eating. This isn't where we see in James that even the the demons believe and shudder. That's that's just a scent of knowledge. The demons believe that there's a Christ and they shudder. That's one level of believing. This is a believing that knows there's a Christ and I have to have this Christ. He is beautiful to me. He is good. He is right. He is forgiving. I've got to have Him. This is the believing. This is the eating. This is the seeing. This is the, I have to savor the Savior. Believing. It is as active and real as eating. Augustine of Hippo wrote, Believe, and you have eaten. There's a guy named Charles Blondin. He was the first person to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Has anybody ever tried to do that in this room? I don't think so. Even stringing up a tightrope in your backyard, even stringing up a hammock on campus in the middle of everybody. Mason and I saw a guy fall out of his own hammock. We can't even stay in our own hammocks, but this guy says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Now, I got this from the internet. Now, it's a story I've used since I've heard it used my whole life. The point should be well taken. The truth of this, I don't know. Somebody later, later fact check this and come back. But it's awesome. One time, he crosses normally. Another time, he gets in a sack. Have you ever tried to do the sack race where you just, you just jump across the yard? You've fallen down. He gets in a sack and walks across. Another time he walks on stilts. Another time he pushes a wheelbarrow full of potatoes. Uh, another time he rides a bike across of it. One time he stopped midsection and cooked an omelet on a portable stove. <laughs> this is where I'm like, no, Wikipedia people, please. Fact check this. The point being even if he only walked across it one time, even if he only pushed a wheelbarrow across it one time, we would be like, yes, amazing, yes, yes. But imagine if he really did all these things, and then he he comes to the crowd and he says, do you think I could put a, a human being in the wheelbarrow and push the human across the tightrope? We would all say, yes, absolutely, yes, you could do that. And then they say, okay, well, Sherry, you get in. Oh, no, 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 no. That's a believing and a not eating. That's a believing and not trusting. That's a believing and uh uh-uh. Yeah, uh -uh, uh uh-uh, (laughs) uh-uh. Is he substantially real to you? 
Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And have you eaten the bread of life? In summary, they wanted their kingdom on their terms, so they sought Christ. But they did not want Christ in his kingdom. Christ is the prophet in this passage. He's speaking bold truth of true salvation and eternal life that is found only in truly trusting him, eating and digesting his truth. He is truth. Christ is priest in this passage. He alludes to his sacrifice, his giving of himself in our place, which the term is substitutionary atonement. He hints and talks about absorbing the wrath of God. This is propitiation of sins. Forgiving sin, this is justification. And there's many more of these things that Jesus alludes to as him being our priest. This is only possible through him. We must believe in him, eat of him. Christ is king in this passage. He's not looking to be elected. He has the seal of the Father and is on mission to establish his kingdom in his way and in his time. And he invites us into his kingdom by eating the bread of life. There is no other way in. And once we are in, he keeps us forever. So application. Those of you who are believers, those of you who do believe, celebrate the grace of God. The grace of God should be evident in this passage. If you were reading this passage and and you got to the point where Jesus says the work, your work is to believe, and you're like, yep, that's me. That is what I do. I, I believe. And you miss the whole part of no one comes to the Father but through me. And God draws and get every, everyone that the Father gives me, and you miss grace in this passage, you miss out on the part of where you turn to God and the Savior you, whom you love being filled by the Holy Spirit and you turn to God and you actually, instead of saying yes, of course, and you say, why me? Why me, Lord? Why would you give me life? Why would you illuminate my heart? Why would you draw me to yourself? Because I know me. And I know I don't deserve you. Why me? That is a way to celebrate grace. To say, Yet, me and you, you love me. Thank you. I praise you. He has illuminated your heart through the word by the spirit so that you could see and would go and eat. That you would run starving and hungry to him. Celebrate. We're going to have a chance to do that here in a moment through worship, through singing. Believers, celebrate Christ's eternal commitment to hold you forever because of his work. His work, His accomplishments, His authority in your life is what holds you forever. This is the the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Or as I like to call it from not, it's not original with me, but it's the preservation of the saints. Jesus preserves me forever. Celebrate Christ's substitutionary atonement. He's your surety, your substitute. Your righteousness. He's not just our example. He is our example. But he is our substitute. He's our righteousness. But with this believer, with this great privilege of being in his kingdom, being his by his works, privilege brings responsibility. I just want you to look right here on the screen for a minute. This is called the will diagram. Many of you have seen this before. We've shared this before right here. uh, We get this from the navigators, and Taylor, who's here, has made it look even more beautiful. If you picture the center for this illustration for today's passage, union with Christ, lordship of Christ, it even looks like a loaf right now because because of the screen and what's going on. Christ is the bread of life. Union with Him comes through feasting on Him. If you're a believer, feast on Christ. He is our life. 
We don't do these other things in order to have Christ. We have Christ, and therefore we go and we take bread through evangelism. We take bread. We take Jesus into all the world. We pray because we feast on Him. We know who Christ is and His bread, His sustenance. We pray, God, I need to know You even more. I pray for You to work because You can work because You're the living bread. Fellowship, we get together. We actually break bread together. We think about Jesus together. We feast on Him together. The Word of God is the bread. Jesus, the Word made flesh, the bread of life. We look to the Word of God and we eat. We eat God's Word. This is a privilege of knowing Christ. These aren't just things to do. These are privileges. This is the fruitful Christian life. This is, if I could add anything to this diagram, I'd put the joyful, obedient Christian life because when you're eating, you're satisfied, and when you're saying, God, today, what are some ways you want me to be obedient? Read your words, share my faith, encourage believers, pray. Okay, I'll do those things. And you know what? There's going to be suffering. There's going to be heartache. It's going to be difficult, but there's going to be a satisfaction. There's going to be Jesus is with me always. Confess to him when you feast upon rotten food, believers. Confess the roots of your sin, not just the fruits of your sin. Don't just say, oh, God, I'm sorry, I lied about that. Say that. But why? Why are you lying? Why are you stealing? Why are you looking at pornography? Why are you addicted to food? Why? Not just say, I'm sorry, God, that I did that, but... But, but get in there with the Word, with the Spirit, with, with brothers and sisters, and, and get, to the, get to the idol. What are you believing? How are you not believing that Christ is the bread of life? Those of you who do not yet believe, as Jesus says, believe, come to Jesus, eat of Christ, believe in Him, the other day on John Severe Highway, I passed a church, and the church said, uh, be an organ donor. I've seen this sign a million times in my Christian life, and it gets me every time. I thought, okay, they're wanting people to come in there, and the Red Cross, you know, sign up for a license here. And, and then at the, the bottom of it is, so at the top, be an organ donor. At the bottom is, give your heart to Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm okay with, with cheesy signs. I'm not, I'm not insulting that sign. But what I, what I did realize is like, you know what? There's somewhere in my adult life that I, I've stopped using that term, give your heart to Jesus, because I want to sound more like scholarly or something. But it's exactly what we are to do. We are to give our place of passions, our desires, our life. These people were coming to Jesus with their desires saying, we want you to be our king for us because they were full of desires. I need to actually give my heart to Christ, my passions, what I think is best. I need to give to him everything. I need to give to him control. If you look upon the screen, we're going to look at two circles. The first circle on the screen is going to represent the self-directed life. So in this for in this illustration, you see that S stands for self, the chair stands for the throne, control, the cross is on the outside. Now remember, no matter what, Jesus is the king of the universe. However, there's no submission to Christ in this life. The submission is to, to Mark. I am the king of my life. I sit on the throne of my life. I order everything in my life. I don't need help. I don't need a Savior. I don't need anyone telling me what to do. Christ is on the outside. And this next circle is going to be the circle of where Christ is on the throne. Again, Christ is on the throne. Make no mistake about that. Christ is king over the believer's life and those that aren't believers. Christ is king. He has all authority. But for this illustration, we're talking about submission. Lovingly submitting to Christ, seeing his beauty, seeing our needs, and saying, Jesus, you 
take my life. I give you control. I need you. I need forgiveness. I need to feast on you. I need eternal life. So those of you that aren't believers, what life do you, do you want? According to the word of God, what life do you need? And according to the commands of Jesus, come, come. So during this time, we're going to have communion and worship. There's going to be a time of giving. In the back, in the foyer, there are some vintage doors that has a little box. It's one way that we celebrate Christ together is by giving to his mission. We're going to worship. We're going to sing songs together. And if you're new to our church, during the worship portion, if you're a believer, we invite you uh, to the back. We have three separate tables set up with bread and juice for us to remember that God's body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. It's symbolic of what Christ has done for us, that we must eat. We must remember him. We're reminded that, yes, we eat of him and we are satisfied and it is as good as done, eternally secure. However, daily, we need to feast on him. We need to feast on him. We need to think of him and confess our sins. So now we're going to enter into a time of worship. Let me pray for us. God, your word says in Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God, we praise you. Jesus, that you would even come, that you would even come into this broken world. God, that it was in the garden that we were tempted to follow ourselves by eating of the fruit that you said don't eat, and it leads to death. May we see life in following your command to eat of you that brings life. Lord, reveal to us the places where we are eating off tables that are poisonous and help us to know you. God, I pray for those in this room that don't yet believe. Draw them to, to yourself. Help them to see your glory, your goodness. May we worship you. May we take your word all into Knoxville, Tennessee, surrounding states, all over the United States and all over the world so the world may know and taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.